As a young woman with too many ideas, I left Pakistan for the promise of intellectual freedom in America. Teaching at a small liberal arts college in the US, where at last I could be fully free. I thought I was in heaven. But recently I've begun to wonder, am I really? With rising censorship, intolerance and cancellations, the West, once that shining beacon of freedom, seems a lot less lustrous from where I sit today. I'm Amna Khalid. This week on Banished, The Temptations of the West, Reconsidered. Find it at booksmartstudios.org. From Booksmart Studios, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and uh, (laughs) let's start here. Let's just start here. You know my thing about pulling the camera back and then pulling it in. Let's start somewhere that most of us wouldn't expect. South Park. I'm going down to South Park, gonna have myself a time. Friendly faces everywhere, humble folks without temptation. Remember South Park, that show that used to always be in the news and now for some reason nobody talks about, although I'm told that it's the same show? Well, back in the 90s when the show was new, Many of you will remember the Marvin character. It looks like one of those Ethiopians. Oh, man. They must have accidentally sent him instead of the sports watch. Marvin is supposed to be Ethiopian. And one of the cute things about Marvin is that he speaks a uh, click language. Whoa, that was cool. Yeah, how do you make those clicking sounds? What's your name, dude? Marvin. I think he said his name is Marvin. That was great, but... Technically, if you wanted to be technical, which you didn't, but still technically, that was wrong. The languages of Ethiopia are not click languages. It's not that their click languages spread all over Africa, as one might reasonably think if you're approaching these things from a distance. Rather, the click languages are spoken in southern Africa, except for, you know, an exception and a half, and not Ethiopia. It's a southern African phenomenon. And specifically, there are three families of languages that are full of these cliques. The families share that treaty. It used to be thought they were one family. In some ultimate sense, way back in the midst of time, I would guess that they are, although it makes some of the specialists angry for anybody to even speculate about that. But there are three small families of languages that are replete with these cliques. And then there are languages around these languages, contiguous to these languages, that have inherited some of those cliques. And so I refer to languages of Southern Africa of the Bantu group. Bantu's kind of shop window language is Swahili. That's the one that an American might learn. But there are hundreds of other Bantu languages, and among them are ones of South Africa, such as Zulu and Hosa. So you have those two in particular. Zulu and Hosa are are, are very close. They're different languages, but they're very close. And they have clicks in them, too. So if you're of a certain age, you might remember Miriam Makiba on TV singing with clicks. It's called by the English-speaking people the click song because they cannot say She was a Hosa speaker, so that's where those clicks were coming from. We're in these languages of Southern Africa of the Bantu groups, such as Zulu and Hosa. There, there are others like Swati, 
but we'll stick mostly with Zulu and Hosa. There's a very interesting practice among people who speak these languages. This is an indigenous practice. It fades as people become more urban, but indigenously, there is something called avoidance speech, and it involves women when they marry into a family. There's a certain way of speaking that you have to master if you are a woman who marries into a family. It's a practice that's called lonipa, where the lo you can think of as the first part, lo and then nipa. Lonipa. If you see it on the page, it looks like Lonifa. No, that's not what it is. It's Lonipa. Lonipa means that you are not supposed to say the names of your in-laws, especially your male in-laws, but it's not only the men, depending on how vivid the practice is from in the particular place that you're at. So you're not supposed to say male in-laws' names, not just the ones that are living, but even ones who no longer exist. And you're also not supposed to say words that happen to be the same as those names or even that sound too much like those names. The idea is to convey respect to your in-laws, which is certainly a human universal. What varies is the ways that you do it. And in these languages, you use lonipa as part of how you show that respect. So the equivalent in English would be, let's say somebody named Mary marries a guy named William Green. And William's parents are named Robert and Grace. And then let's say that William's sister is named Oksana. So let's say that Mary wants to say that Grace, that's her mother-in-law, Grace will not eat green yogurt before her sonogram. Grace will not eat green yogurt for her sonogram. Very natural sentence, of course. But let's just say that Mary wanted to say that. Well, you you can't say that because there are too many things that are wrong. For one thing, you can't say Grace. And so what you're going to say is something like the older daughter of Smith, because Grace is the mother-in-law, but let's say that she comes from the Smith family. So the older daughter of Smith is what you say instead of grace. You're never supposed to say grace. So then, will not eat. No, not will, because the husband's name is William. You're not supposed to say that. And so you say, the older daughter of Smith refuses to, not will not eat, refuses to eat. Green yogurt. No, not green, because her husband's name is William Green. You don't say that. You say grass-colored instead. Yogurt? No, because gert, ert, Well, the father-in-law's name is Robert. Bert. Sounds a little too much like it. If you really want to do this right, it's not green yogurt, but grass-colored yo mix or something like that. And then no sonogram because the sister's name is Oksana. You don't want to talk about a sonogram. So before she gets a look at her baby in an office. So the older daughter of Smith refuses to eat grass-colored yo mix before she gets a look at her baby in an office. So to take a quick look, at how this actually works. Let's say that in Hosa, the way you say I do not want is Andifuni. Well, suppose somebody in the family's name is Funi or something like that. So you say Andiuni so that you're not saying Funi, something like that. Let's say that the word for cow in Hosa is Incomo. Well, if somebody has Como in their name, then you're going to say Inombe, which is another word for cow in Hosa. There are all sorts of things you can do, including going to the language next door. So potato in Hosa is Itapile. Well, if somebody's named Tapi or something like that, well, you have to change it. And so, well, the Zulu word for potato, many 
host of speakers would know, is izambane. And so you use that instead. And then even you can use clicks to disguise things. So instead of saying lenga for swing, you might say enga and use the click so that you're not using that word. Many people think that the reason that languages like Hosa and Zulu have the clicks is because they needed a way to do Hlonipa, and the nearby click languages were available to use as a model for changing a word or making it sound different, especially because people who spoke the click languages were often in various kinds of subordinate relationships with the people who spoke languages like Zulu and Hosa. So we have this interesting tradition. It's an indigenous tradition. I think I can say that to us, it seems, quote unquote, exotic and perhaps even extreme. We respect it. Nevertheless, however, to the extent that people move to cities, to the extent that people embrace what we might call the modern, they tend to let this practice go, at least to an extent, young urban women of Hosa and Zulu society are increasingly resistant to having to observe Lonipa. Nevertheless, it's there. Okay, that's Lonipa, avoidance language. This is lexical taboo. Now, let's go to Scrabble. Yep, the game. You know what Scrabble always makes me think of is actually a broad, yes, <laughs> a show tune. This is from Starting Here, Starting Now, which was actually technically off-Broadway. It was a review, and the songs were by Richard Maltby and David Shire. They were very good, a little underrated. They never had a big, fat, big, fat, big, fat hit. The closest thing they had to it was a very interesting but peculiar show called Baby, and you know, there was a sperm in it and stuff, and it was strange. But they are excellent songwriters, and one of my favorites of theirs is called Crossword Puzzle. And it's interesting. I am now getting old enough to listen to something that I have loved for a long time and realize that even within my lifetime, styles have changed significantly. The singer here is putting this higher than I think somebody would do it today. This is back in the late 70s. Nevertheless, this is the foundational recording. This is Crossword Puzzle. I've always thought it was a great piece of work. Fun song for performers. I am sitting here doing the Sunday Times crossword puzzle. Somehow the words won't come. I am staring at squares, but my eyes never focus and my mind's feeling strangely numb. What's a five-letter word meaning? Here's an example. Two down, a Peruvian poison dart. Why would Henke and me used to breeze through the puzzle? On Sunday, the answer would leap in my heart. Beast, that's a new G-N-U Boop boopy doo. Where is Hecky now? Ha! He ran off with some bluesy on a boat bound for warmer climes. And he left me here doing the crossword puzzle in the Sunday. All the times we had fun here, when more often than not. There's something going on in the Scrabble world these days, and it happened after the summer of 2020 when we entered what many people call a racial reckoning. And the idea was to take a new look at what words are allowed in playing Scrabble, because all words have not been allowed for a long time. Even since the 90s, the little Scrabble dictionaries that you can get, the official Scrabble dictionaries, have pulled out lots and lots of words that are considered tacky, nasty, mean, and so in terms of what's in that dictionary that you can play versus what you can't play. There are hundreds 
of words, hundreds meaning 259 in terms of what I'm aware of, words that you're not supposed to use. So you can go into that dictionary and find that you're not allowed to, I'm going to take some at random, can't say badass, can't say batshit, can't do blowjob. Okay, there you go. That's been the way it's been for almost 30 years. But since summer of 2020, more words have been put on the list. And there's a difference between what's in the dictionary and what's allowed by the National Scrabble Association in tournaments. So dictionary at home is one thing. But what about the tournaments? Now, until now, the dictionary has said that you can't do badass, but in tournaments, you could use badass. The tournaments have been much more permissive. But now things are changing even with the tournaments. And these days, if you're going to be playing tournament Scrabble, there are various slurs that you can't use. And it brings up some very interesting issues. What is amusing is that some of the words that have been prescribed are ones that really don't come up much in Scrabble. And so nowadays, the new thing is that you should not play hair-lipped. You don't want to play Mongolian. You don't want to play Peckerwood. And you don't want to play non-handicapped. I'm not sure why that is, but you don't want to play that. Now, as most of us know, if we've played Scrabble, it's rare that you're going to come up with those anyway. But then there are others that now you can't play that you could before the reckoning. And so now there's no, now please pardon me, I'm just saying these words to indicate what they are. No goy, no Jew, no les, no wop, no yid. It's the small words that actually are more challenging for tournament players because they come up a lot. It's very rare that you're going to find even seven letters of peckerwood staring at you from that little rack. But those shorter ones, yeah, they are part of playing the game. And now you can't use those. Not only are they not in the dictionary that you might have at home where nobody can see you, but you can't use them in tournaments. And of course, there is controversy over this. Some hardcore Scrabble players are okay with this. Some feel that we're missing a difference between referring to a word and using it. It's a very delicate discussion, of course, because we're talking about putting a word on a Scrabble board where it's going to be staring at you. It's almost as if it's being said. You could even argue that that is a kind of using the word. For example, imagine if you're black and somebody plays the N-word and it's just sitting there for the whole 45 minutes. For all I know, Scrabble players have it down to 12 minutes or something, but I'm imagining it takes about 45 minutes and you have that just sitting there. So this is not a non-issue, but still there is that general problem, and I've discussed it here before, where you have an idea that the problem is not people using a slur such as the N-word, but even referring to it at all. And so if you think about it, it's kind of like Lonipa, right down to the fact that there have been cases of people getting in trouble for using the word niggardly, which means stingy and has nothing to do with the N-word. This happened once in Washington, D.C., 20-plus years ago, and most people don't know that about a year later, there was a similar controversy at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where this charge was leveled at a Middle English teacher who used the word niggardly by someone who didn't happen to even know what had happened in Washington, D.C. And so you have these cases where you're not supposed to even say something that sounds like it, which to me, I must say, always reminds me of Lonipa. And you think about Lonipa and how interesting it is, but I think many people would find it unexpected that we have something so parallel to that indigenous practice in our particular society. 
So some people say that you should be able to use those words where you're just using them as objects rather than wielding the word. It's in the dictionary, and some people have said what's in the dictionary is not a celebration. It isn't that words are chosen to go into the dictionary because people like them. It's just a faceless documentation of words which have existed and been used whether we like it or approve of it or not. And in fact, surveyed. Most, by a margin, not vastly, but most, by a margin, tournament Scrabble players opposed getting rid of these new slurs, these sorts of things. Some people felt, and I think this is interesting too, that anything should be okay except the N-word. So there is a special totemic status to the N-word. Some people felt not that, but not spreading it to other slurs. And here's the important thing about this controversy. It's not only the non-black players who felt that way. Some black players feel that there should not be these slurs at all, but then other black players are more pragmatic, unsentimental about it. There is a guy who was quoted in a Washington Post story about this. His name is um, Noel Livermore. And he said, if I'm going to lose the game playing a different word, then I'm going to use that word. Scrabble is essentially a numbers game disguised as a word game because you have the different point values of the letters. And he says, I need the points. I'm not going to lose the game. And he wasn't alone. This is a really rich issue. And of course, the thorny part is, if we're going to ban slurs from tournament Scrabble, the question emerges, what is a slur? It's hard. We're dealing with not just black and white, but gray zones, so to speak. And I find myself thinking of the Tar Baby controversy. Tar Baby has been treated as a slur. Over the past 20 years, a few times, people have gotten into trouble for casually using the expression Tar Baby when talking about something. And what they mean is something that once you put your hands on it, it's sticky and you can't quite get it off of your hands. That's a, a Tar Baby. Now, some people say that Tar Baby is a slur. But the people who used the word didn't mean it that way. The people have included, for example, Mitt Romney and John McCain. Mitt Romney was talking about a highway project in Boston, the Big Dig. I always wondered whether that was considered as weird and unfortunate a title for something, because it sounds like something else, the Big Dig, but apparently nobody cared. But Romney was talking about the Big Dig, and McCain was talking about divorce law. So it wasn't anything racial or anything where anyone would expect someone to code something racially. And I think it bears mentioning that both Romney and McCain have been known as particularly decent men. Nevertheless, they were accused of using racially coded language in saying tar baby. And it wasn't only them. Is tar baby a slur or does it just sound like one? Because you can understand why people would think it was one because it involves this dark, character, dark in a way that is reminiscent of minstrel show makeup. And the Tar Baby tale is in the Br'er Rabbit Joel Chandler Harris stories, which are written in an exaggerated Southern Black dialect. And so you think of Tar Baby and maybe it has unsavory associations. But I can say that I was never aware of Tar Baby as a slur in particular, and, you know, some slurs are more prominent than others. There is a black slur that starts with jungle. There is a black slur where it's so obscure, I'm going to say porch monkey. You hear about slurs where they're more talked about than actually used. 
But with Tar Baby, I don't know. I never heard it. And I wasn't at all alone in that. I think the question as to whether Tar Baby is a slur is legitimately considered fuzzy because some people say it is, but maybe they're saying it is just because it kind of sounds like one. And then next, maybe because it kind of sounds like one, it is. Because if some people are genuinely offended by hearing that term, then we've got perhaps a new slur. But these things are very fuzzy. So there are certain things that you're going to say you can't use, for example, in Scrabble. But it's not always easy to figure out what a slur is. And then there's also the issue of how some slurs, the word has particular but thoroughly harmless meanings. So, for example, you can have, pardon me, I'm just going to say it once, you can have bitch. Bitch is allowed because it can also refer to a female dog, especially in Britain. They actually use it that way, whereas here we, we know it with a giggle. But that means that that one was not banned. And also, once again, pardon me, please, retard as in to slow something down. That's allowed, despite the fact that if you say the word differently, you're referring to something else. But, you know, spick, pardon me, is banned because it can refer to a Latino person. But then there are two things with spick. One, isn't spick also a word when you talk about spick and span? Okay, maybe you think spick isn't a word in that sense because you always have to say spick and span. You can't say, well, my countertop is all spick. You have to say spick and span like you say to and fro and hue and cry, etc. But then with that word, isn't it a little antique? And so at what point do you decide that something is such an old usage that it's barely known to such a critical mass of people that maybe it doesn't qualify as deeply offensive anymore? And I can't speak for Latinos, but I can say that that word, I remember it from all in the family, I think when I was a small boy, but I'm not sure that it's a current term. Maybe that doesn't matter, but that is something that would figure in some people's notions of these things. These are really tough issues. It comes down to there would have to be a commission that makes certain judgments that all people are never going to agree with. And the reasons they don't agree are not simply not being on board with not offending people. The reasons are pretty legitimate. And then also, if I may continue opinionizing here, and I'm trying to do so gently, but you have to wonder, how far might it go? And make no mistake, I think the slippery slope argument is overused. Too often, if somebody doesn't like something, they say, well, how far do you think it might go? When often the plausibility of it going much further than it already has is vastly, vastly small. So I don't want to overdo the slippery slope argument, but based on actual empirical evidence lately, I sometimes wonder. And so, for example, not too long ago at Brandeis University, their Prevention Advocacy and Resource Center proposed some words that you might not want to use. Now, they weren't being extremely dogmatic about it. They were just making some suggestions based on things that people who had undergone various kinds of trauma, who had various major problems, had suggested words that they did not like hearing because they found them triggering. Okay, but you want to hear what some of the words were on the list? And I say again, it's not that anybody at Brandeis said no one should use these words, period. But they were making some suggestions, and they were making suggestions on behalf of people who have been hurting for various reasons. And so it carries a certain authority. It makes you think. But it was words like crazy. Don't say crazy, because that is a pejorative way of referring to someone who's having psychological problems. Okay, but really? 
Yeah, there are all sorts of metaphorical meanings of crazy. Crazy is the name of a certain song that most people would not want to see banned. Don't say crazy. Okay, but that's a tough one. Or don't say homeless, because that's pejorative. It has to be a person without shelter or something like that. But isn't that a little inconsistent? Because we're supposed to say now enslaved person instead of slave, and I like it. And I mean that I like it. I am right now writing an academic paper where I am writing about enslaved people, and I am actually using the term enslaved person. I get it. You don't want to make it sound like the person is somehow inherently and eternally a slave, that that's a kind of person. Rather, a person can be in the position of being enslaved. Well, okay, so homeless person instead of bum, which is the word that I grew up hearing, homeless person. What's wrong with that if enslaved person is okay. Or they had, um, don't say victim, say that somebody experienced something because victim implies kind of like slave or bum, I guess, that the essence of the person is that they are a victim. Don't say prisoner because that's taken on unsavory implications. Say incarcerated person. Don't say walk-in because some people happen not to be able to walk. You, You get the point. All of these are interesting suggestions But you notice that it's really expanding the scope of what taboo words are. And the people who presented these proposals were reasonable human beings. But it can go further. And the question is, if a critical mass of people put their imprimatur on suggestions like these, upon what authority would the tournament association say no? say that we've gone to a certain point, but we're not going to get rid of any more words. I'm not sure what the justification could be if we've already gotten rid of, for example, Jew or Goy. You can't have that. What else? So this is a rare time when I do find myself thinking about the slippery slope. Before I go further with this topic, it's time for something utterly irrelevant to lighten it up. This is Gold Diggers of 1935. It has nothing to do with it, but I've wanted to play this for a while. Gold Diggers of 1935, and the plot of it is utterly irrelevant. This is the film that's famous for the magnificent lullaby of Broadway number, but there are other songs in it. And one of them is the much less consequential Going Shopping With You. And Dick Powell is taking this woman shopping and actually singing a song about it. It's such a catchy little song. I've always liked it. And, you know, I'm going to spare you the 1935 sound quality because this was re-recorded in the original arrangement that they used for the movie in the 90s. And they got a singer, Brent Barrett, who sounds so much like Dick Powell. The conductor of this, I get the feeling, told him to just mimic the original person, which must have been annoying, but he got paid. Brent Barrett sounds so much like Dick Powell, you know, resuscitated and singing in 1993, that I'm going to give you this so you don't have to listen to the... But I'm Going Shopping With You has always been one of my favorite Harry Warren Al Dubin songs. This song, whenever you go shopping... To buy a dress that's new Honey, I'll keep my eye on the dresses you try on Cause I'm going shopping with you When you go to the jeweler To buy a gem or two On your fourth little finger A ring's gonna linger Cause I'm going shopping with you Lots of shoes and stockings And plenty of new chapeaus That's what I could go for For the cute little baby inside those clothes Mm -hmm. 
you go and pick the cottage I'll put the mortgage through Honey, I don't know whether we'll move in together But I'm going shopping with you Where's your basket? I'm going shopping with you I have a suggestion. I'm trying to sound like Andy Rooney. Cranky Andy Rooney. I have a suggestion with the Scrabble slur issue. I'm not a tournament Scrabble player, but this is just something that I've been thinking that I imagine other people might think. I wonder if there's room in Scrabble for tiles with asterisks with point values. And so if you want to play a word that's a slur or that some people think of as a slur, Instead of having it sitting there staring out on the board, because there are people who don't like that, why not blunt it by having asterisks, which is what we do in print, with point values? And then there would have to be some kind of procedure, and I'd have to be a tournament player to know exactly how this would work, but some kind of procedure where both players and people watching would know what word was intended. Maybe you write the actual word discreetly on a piece of paper so that it's known and remembered what was intended. With the idea being that they're words that you don't want sitting there staring at you, but this is basically a numbers game, and the issue is not using the words. The issue is just referring to these words that have these particular shapes. And talk about slippery slope. I know some people's argument here would be the problem with that is there's a certain kind of person who would sit there and use slurs as much as they could, and the board would just be covered with all of these slurs with the asterisks in them. And, you know, I'm not sure that's true because of the nature of Scrabble. Strategy is important. You're trying to get as many points as possible. And from what I see of Scrabble, there's just simply no way in terms of sheer probability that you could use a slur every second word and have any hope of winning the game. And if you're somebody who wanted to do that because you would never win the game, you wouldn't really last long in tournaments. You wouldn't enjoy them. And so I'm thinking that that slippery slope is the kind that you don't need to worry about because nobody would pull that outside of some living room, which is different from tournament play where you're being flinty and extremely pragmatic. You know something about Scrabble? It was invented in my neighborhood in Queens. Jackson Heights is the site where Scrabble was invented back in the 1930s by the unfortunately named Alfred Mosher Butts, one of those people who stuck with that name. Can you imagine being a child and having to say that all the time? But he got past it partly by inventing Scrabble. If you'd like to leave a comment or check out our other great podcasts, Banished and Bully Pulpit, or subscribe, please visit booksmartstudios.org. Our producers are Matthew Schwartz and, as always, Mike Wolo. And that theme music was created by Harvest Creative Services. Those sister podcasts, again, are Banished, about cancel culture with Amna Khali, and Bully Pulpit with Bob Garfield about much else. Thank you, by the way, to Stefan Fatsis for getting me up to date on the Scrabble situation. You know, I haven't played Scrabble since about 1946. <laughs> I liked it. And in any case, I am John McWhorter. <laughs>